This is one of my life verses. The whole thing, the whole passage that we read today. The first part really got my attention when I was a little boy. When uh, uh, in Sunday school, we heard this passage about don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink or what you're going to wear and all those sorts of things. That your father, your heavenly father knows that you have need of those things. And uh, just seeing my little sister sitting out there reminded me of when this really was quickened to my heart. I was probably about, I guess, 11 years old or something like that. And um, our dad had been through a lot and had been overcome with uh, fear. And he was home from the hospital and there was nothing physically wrong with him, but he wouldn't get out of bed and go to work. And the psychiatrist uh, told my mom she was going to have to use tough love on him. Now, I didn't know that. But what I did hear one day was my mom yelling, or our mom, let me say, yelling at our father, telling him that he needed to get up and get out. And if she, he didn't get up and get to work, that she was going to leave him. And uh, pretty well, she said in the kids that she was just going just, just to leave him. And I remember laying there in bed, hearing her threatening to just leave. And uh, here I've got a dad that won't get out of bed and do anything. And I've got a mom that's threatening to leave. And my first thought was, well, now, if my mom's gone and my dad won't get out of bed, who's going to take care of us? How are we going to live? If she's not here, she's been running the business. What's going to happen to the business? And then I remembered that passage of scripture and the Lord just quickened it to my heart. And this is why you should always read scripture, learn it, because in times of need, it comes through. And so uh, this part about don't worry about what you're going to eat. Your heavenly father knows you have this. Well, Lord, how? And then I thought, you know what? If uh, my mom left, and my dad wouldn't get out of bed, then probably I'd get to go live with my grandparents. That'd be pretty cool. <laughs> and then I thought, or uh, one aunt that we had in particular that had taken care of us a lot whenever things were bad, she fixed the best breakfast every morning. I mean, it was sausage and gravy and biscuits. I really looked forward to staying at her house. And she had boys that we, I got to play with and all. And so uh, anyway, I thought, well, you know, if I got to go live with Aunt Opaldane, that wouldn't be bad either. So then I started thinking, okay, mom, head out, man. It's going <laughs> to be okay. Of course, instead, my dad got out of bed, went to work, and all, you know, he got back on his feet again. But uh that was uh, the first time that I really thought of that. And then there were other times along the way when things would look really bad. And I remember this. And somehow, just like the Lord takes care of the sparrows and uh, takes care of everything else, he's taken care of me. And you wouldn't be sitting here today if he had not up to this point in your life taken care of you. And so we all sit here 
as living proof that the first part of this is so. And, but the, the second part didn't really come through to me until much later in life. After I'd tried things my way, and then all of a sudden I discovered that the other part of this passage was more important than the first part. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things that you're going to be worried about, they'll be taken care of. Suppose that today you are starting your life all over. You're old enough now to know right from wrong, old enough to learn, old enough to love, old enough to really live. If you could ask the Lord Jesus Christ how to make the rest of your life the best of your life, what do you think he'd tell you? You don't have to wonder. Well, you know, we just heard it. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Now, I think you can really summarize what Jesus says here up in uh, three words. First things first. First things first. Now, it sounds simple, but I want to tell you that if you, beginning today, would consciously, continuously, constantly, and consistently put first things first, it would absolutely transform your life. The formula for how to do just that is found in this tremendous statement from the lips of our Lord. There are three things that come out of this that I need to share with you today. And the first is set proper priorities. You don't have to pray about what your number one and priority in life should be because uh, we've just gone through it. As I said, you don't have to look for it. You just have to do it. That's all you have to do. Just do it. Jesus already told us what our first priority is supposed to be. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And uh, then the next, then but see, it's not enough. And this is where the church begins to fall apart and where Christians lose their focus. Because you see, it's not enough to seek the Lord. You're not supposed to just seek the Lord. You must seek him first. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. First things first means putting Jesus first, means really making him Lord of your life. Now, let me tell you something. Jesus does not want a place in your life. He doesn't want any. He doesn't want a place in your life. He doesn't even want prominence in your life. Do you know what he wants? He wants preeminence in your life. There's a big difference. A lot of people just make room for the Lord in their lives. They think about him every now and then, but they don't give him preeminence. When you truly seek a king and you truly seek his kingdom, 
you're automatically seeking three things. First of all, you're seeking for the glory of the king. Every part and parcel of your life, every minute and moment of your time, every ounce and pound of your strength, every muscle and fiber of your body ought to be given for the glory of God. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God, Paul says. Now I can remember after having discovered that that's the way to have a good life and to have the best life was to give him preeminence, not just a place. And I was talking to someone else about uh, how they had tremendous talent and the Lord had given them that talent for a reason and they should be using it for him. And they said, yeah, you know, I know that, but I want to try my way first. And you know, I know a whole lot of people that are coming up on the twilight years of their life now that are still to this day saying, I want to try it my way first. And they still haven't gotten around to trying his way and putting his way first. I can remember someone that did that. Dr. Duggar uh, was the retiring president of uh, the Baptist, uh, Missionary Baptist Seminary in Jacksonville. I was president of the Ministerial Alliance in Jacksonville at the time. And so I got to uh, say some words at his, uh, at his retirement uh, celebration. And, after, and so did the mayor. And so did one person after another. They all just heaped accolades on a very humble man's head. And I'll never forget what he did. He got up there and he looked around and he said, all of these undeserved accolades you have heaped on my brow today. I humbly place at the feet of Jesus. For if you have seen any good thing in me, it has been from him. Now that's someone who was putting first things first and had put first things first throughout his life. So it means to see you're seeking the glory of God instead of your own glory, instead of your own personal accolades. You're hoping that everything will just reflect Jesus. But it also means to seek the guidance of the king. A loyal subject always wants to do whatever the king would have him or her to do. Every morning of your life, you ought to begin by asking the Lord Jesus what Paul uh, asked the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus when he said, Lord, what would you have for me to do? If you've never sincerely asked that question, the answer can be scary. Because if I hadn't asked that question, I wouldn't be standing before you today. I'd still be out in the business world. But whenever I asked him and he said, well, you ought to be a preacher. And I hadn't, I was just flabbergasted. Um, the thing is, once you seriously ask him that, he will give you an answer. 
Lord, what would you have me to do? Every morning, that ought to be the first question on your lips. But it also means you seek the government of the king. You know, Jesus is Lord of all. A loyal subject desires to be controlled by the king, to be governed by the king, to be ruled by the king. And someone might say, why are you talking about slavery? The thing is, the greatest liberty in the world I have found is found in being controlled by the right master. Bob Dylan got it right in his song, you got to serve somebody. Most of you, well, a lot of you, let's see, how many of you can remember 1979? Let's see your hands. Okay, all right, good. If you can remember it, then you might remember this song. You may, I mean, he sang it differently than I'm going to say it, but maybe you can understand me better than you could him, whatever he's saying. You may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You might like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed. You're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to be, you're going to have to serve somebody. There's many, many verses to this song, and I'm not going to read you the whole thing, but he had the essence. He discovered something. You're going to serve somebody. If you're not serving the Lord, you may be serving public opinion, or you may be uh, serving the opinion of a certain group of people, or you may be trying to please somebody from your past that isn't even around anymore. But you've got to serve somebody. And whenever you let that somebody be the Lord, then all of a sudden you're free. You're free from your past to live in the present and look forward to the future. And you haven't had that opportunity before if you've been so concerned about what other people think. But when you start being concerned about what the Lord thinks, it changes everything you will be transformed. It also means seek personal purity. This is number two. You set priorities, set proper priorities. But then also you seek personal purity. Not only were to seek his kingdom, we're to seek his righteousness, it says. You can't let him be king without becoming righteous. And that is, not only are we to be seeking God's control over us, but we're also seeking for God's character to be within us. And there are a whole lot of people in churches today that are trying to do all the right things, but they've never been transformed in the very midst of their being because they're still serving themselves and just trying to work God in kind of as a safety net or for what they can get out of him. They haven't learned that he is the one that has life. The kingdom of God is not only to be inwardly experienced, it's to be outwardly expressed. It's going to show on the outside 
if you have it within. You see, if God is ruling over you, then his righteousness will be within you because a person's character is simply the outward expression of whatever is controlling them inwardly. Faith is always seen by its fruit. Character is always seen by its conduct. You see, as we seek the kingdom of God, people ought to be able to see the kingdom of God in us. How about you? Can people see the kingdom of God in you? If you look back on this past week, the actions that you took, the thoughts that you thought, the things that you did, could people see the kingdom of God in you? We're never going to make a difference in this world until the world sees a difference in us. Nietzsche, the uh, German philosopher, uh, had, this is one that's, that started the God is dead stuff. And he came to that conclusion by looking at Christianity. He uh, said this about Christians. If you want me to believe in your Redeemer, you're going to have to look a little more redeemed. If he were here today, I think he would have to say the same thing. The real mark of a Christian is that he makes it easier for others to believe in God. So what does it mean to seek the righteousness of God? We must desire it. We must want to live a life that's pleasing to God. Then we must derive it. And this is what I mean by that. We're to seek his righteousness, his righteousness, not our righteousness, his righteousness. God's not interested in your righteousness. Did you know that? Some people spend their whole lives trying to be righteous and holy for God instead of giving themselves to God and letting his Holy Spirit impart his righteousness to them. He's not interested in how good you can be. He's interested in you. Uh, he is only interested in his righteousness. He's not interested in what you can do for him, only what he can do through you. And as long as you're the one that has the steering wheel of your car called life, uh, he's not going to be able to do anything through you. You've got to let him have control. Righteousness must be imputed before it can be imparted. And this is another thing. You know, this is where faith comes in. And faith is the real, uh, I guess, say linchpin that holds together the imputation of righteousness and the impartation of righteousness. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he died in your place, the just for the unjust, the beautiful and the lovely for the unlovable and the unlovely. And in doing so, whenever he took your place, then his righteousness was imputed to you. But it doesn't become imparted to you until it is received by faith, until you finally believe that he died on the cross for you to set you free from sin so that you can live a life 
that is a life that's a glory to him and a life that's really filled with life. Well, after you do that, you need to believe the promises and you have to do this too. This is another part of faith. You see, it all is a part of one package. You got to see the promises are really true. The Lord said, if you'll seek his kingdom and his righteousness, all these things will be added to you. And what things is he referring to? He's talking about all the things that you've been worried about. Uh, we're told, uh, well, you know, people worry about finances. We see that in verse 19. Lay not up, not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. In verse 25, we're told that people worry about food. And uh, we're probably worried about it a little bit differently nowadays than we used to. Used to, people worried about what they were going to get to eat. Now then, people worry about eating too much and eating the wrong stuff, don't they? But we still worry about food. And uh, he says, therefore, say, take no thought about your life, what you shall eat or drink, or what you shall, uh, not, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? He's saying you need to put him first, put him above your diets, put him above your worried about where your next meal is going to come from. Put him first, preeminent above all that other stuff. We're told in verse uh, 27 uh, that we're not to worry about our bodies. Which of you uh, taking thought or worrying, it says in some scriptures, can add one cubit that's a, that's, that's a foot and a half. How about you worrying? How can you make yourself a foot and a half taller? And uh, really, that's uh, a uh, hyper... Well, I'm going to get it right. I keep, keep wanting to say the epitome of hyperbole, but it's the epitome of hyperbole. That's the word hyperbole. Yeah. Thank you, Sharon. Thank you. Uh, for those of you listening on the podcast, Sharon is my wife and she just mouthed the word for me. But uh, the thing is hyperbole. And the thing is, it can be translated who by worrying can add one hour to his life. It's not worrying that's going to make a difference. I remember I used to worry about how long I was going to live all the time. And I used to fear ever getting certain diseases. But you know what? Now that death has become a doorway, and I know that uh, being with him is going to be with the Lord, that's no longer a problem. My cousin Wayne, he has that uh, attitude. Sharon's brother has that attitude. If he gets better, cool. If he doesn't, cooler. Because the Lord is on the other side. Well, but it's not by worrying. And the thing is, by worrying... You're not putting your faith and entrusting yourself to God. And it's amazing what he does when you just quit worrying and start trusting. We're told people worry about fashion. Take no thought for raiment, considering the little civil of these fields, how they grow. They don't toil, neither do they spin. Now, all these things that we need, and that's why the Lord said in verse 32, for all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly father knows you have need 
of all these things. And the Lord has promised, and this is just it. You've got to see the promise. You've got to embrace the promise that if you'll seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, you'll have all the things you need. Now, I did not say you would necessarily have all the things you want. I'm convinced there are four lessons that parents need to teach their children early. And it'd be good even for some adults to relearn. And first of all, you don't need everything you want. Do you know that? I wish I had all the money back that I'd spent on things in my life that I wanted that I didn't really need. Secondly, uh, you don't want everything you need. This is a toughie. I never want to get a shot. I never have. In my whole life, I've never wanted to get a shot. In fact, one time, our housekeeper had to take Danette and me to get a sh to, to the doctor's office, and I knew what was going on. I knew they were going to give me try to give me a shot. So I had one of the first water pistols that had a tank, and it held about a quart of water. And I armed myself before I went to the doctor's office. It was about three blocks to the doctor's office. We walked over there and nobody paid any attention to my little toy stuck on my side with this little gun and this little holster there. But when it came time and the, the, the housekeeper had been cryptic, she wouldn't say for sure where they're going to, but I knew. And so whenever that nurse came with that piece of uh, cotton with uh alcohol on it and the and, and started to grab my arm I whipped out that pistol and I said back away you know anyway and the doctor came in and I cornered them both and I said I've got plenty of water and I'm not afraid to use it and you know what the doctor and the nurse laughed were laughing so hard in the corner but they didn't want to get wet, you know, because they had other patients to see. And so I had them in a standoff. And finally, I think the, the housekeeper threatened to tell my parents or something. And I didn't want to. So anyway, we made a deal. Nobody'd tell. And I'd take the shot. But I've never liked taking shots. But I needed it, you know. So some of the thing, the point is that you don't want everything you need. The third God doesn't give us everything we want. I, for one, am so glad that he doesn't because I can look at a lot of things that I really thought I wanted and I'm so glad I didn't get them now. But uh, the thing is, last lesson is God always gives us what we need. I heard about two stores that were across the street from each other and they were always in competition and one of them came out one day and nailed a great big sign over the front of his store said if you want it we have it and well the manager of the other store came out and he saw that he went back in he thought a bit and he came back out he nailed this sign over his door if we don't have it you don't need it <laughs> now i can tell you right now no matter what you may think if you don't have it it's because Right now, at this point in your life, you don't need it. But when the point comes that you need it, you'll have it. See, what the Lord is trying to teach is that it's our job to serve Him. It's His job 
to supply us. Now, most of it have it backwards. Most people think it's our job to supply us and it's God's job to serve us. If they could, they'd sing the old hymn this way. I'll have my own way, Lord. I'll have my own way. I'll be the potter. You be the clay. I'll mold you and make you after my will. While you are waiting, yielded and still. It's exactly that attitude that cuts off the blessing of God. Do you want to make the rest of your life the best of your life? Then all you have to do is allow Jesus to be your Lord. Put him first. Live every moment for him. And he will take care of the rest. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.